peer-reviewed scholarly journal article about fatherhood. 63% of adolescent suicides come from fatherless homes. 90% of all runaway children are from fatherless homes. 85% of children with behavioral disorders are from fatherless homes. 71% of all high school dropouts are from fatherless homes. 75% of all adolescent chemical abuse patients who are in drug treatment centers, doesn't include all those that are not in rehabilitation centers, 75% of those alone who are just in drug rehabilitation centers who struggle with substance or some sort of chemical abuse are from fatherless homes. 85% of all youth that are currently in prison are from fatherless homes. I don't, I don't want to be negative, but I, I'm trying to paint an important picture right now for us. First and foremost, let me say this. <laughs> you might have the biological ability to produce a family, but that doesn't make you a father. Okay? And now let me, let me say something else to the single moms in the house. Listen, God has a specific intention for fathers and for mothers. But some of you are here and you're saying there's no father in my household and I'm doing a pretty good job. I'm here to affirm that and say God loves to use the exception to the statistic and say don't think that you are going to fail your children because those children have a heavenly father and they have spiritual fathers so long as they continue to grow in a spiritual community like this. But two fathers. Now, specifically to the dads in the house that are here who say, I might not be perfect, but I do everything that I can to be a godly father. I'm here to say, well done. Because you are the contradiction to the statistic. And I'm grateful that I can look at dads like you and be blessed. I'm grateful that I have a father that I can look to and say, I'm blessed. None of you are perfect, okay? And that's okay. So what I want to do before I get into the message, Curtis, I, I want you to do this. Curtis is going to pass out some gifts that we got for the dads in the house. So if you don't mind, just raise your hand right where you're at, and Curtis is going to bring gifts to the dad. So if you're a dad, I need you to raise your hand in this place right now. All right, good. Thank you. Thank you. As Curtis is passing those gifts out, let's give a huge round of applause for our fathers in this place. Happy Father's Day to you. We hope you enjoy this day well spent with family. And uh, I can't wait to be a dad so I can get a gift on Father's Day here at this church. But that being said, are you ready to get into the word today? Can I hear an amen if you're ready? Amen. So we have been going through a series about prayer that we have called Talking to Jesus. And we've been walking through the Lord's Prayer specifically that many of us know. And so far, we've gone through our Father who art in heaven, hallowed or holy be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
And the past few weeks, we focused on those. those two particular emphasis week one focusing on our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name has to do with reverencing god making him bigger than our problems recognizing who he is in his authority in his provision in his greatness that way we can compare him to our problems and go oh wow my problems really aren't as big as i thought they were compared to who god is then we focus the last few weeks on thy kingdom come thy will be done in focusing on really the idea of submission, saying, God, there's a lot of things that I would prefer to do my way, but in order for me to be living in your will, I want to submit to your authority. Now that I know who you are, help me to come under you because I know it's what's best for me. And now this week, we're going to start to get really, 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 really practical in the way that I know a lot of us church people like to get, and we're going to focus on Give us this day our daily bread. Today, we're going to really focus on provision. Um, So, before I uh, get into that word, I was talking with Evie, and um, I said, Evie, here's my sermon title for today. And let me share with you my sermon title today. It's not a question like I like to do. Uh, It's a statement that I'm going to talk about more at the end, but it's simply this. Your past can't feed you. Okay, so just hold on to that for a second. We're going to come back to that. But as, as I'm thinking about this, um, I, I was just thinking of a way that I could illustrate it well, and I had a lot of ideas. I'm trying to come up with some Father's Day illustrations and honor Father's Day. My dad wouldn't be too happy with some of the ideas I was coming up with, so I'm holding off on some of them. Uh, but so I, I was thinking about this, and my wife says, remember when we were dating? And I, and I was like, yeah, and she continued to explain. So let me tell you, when, when I went on my first date with my wife, what do you think we got to eat? Let me just hear from some of you. Yeah, come on, pizza right there. It's pizza. You can't go wrong with pizza, right? We went, we got pizza. Uh, and, and, and that was the beginning of something beautiful, uh, a kindred likelihood that we had in loving that, that dough and that sauce and that cheese just, just wrapped into one. That is just the greatest pleasure that leads to a heart attack right in front of you if you overeat it. Uh, and so that's what we enjoyed together. Now, I'm somebody that describes myself as a human garbage disposal. If anybody ever asks me, what do you like to eat? I'm like, put it in front of me. I will see how much of it I eat. I will eat whatever it is. Um, My wife has come a long way. But when we were first dating, she was the exact opposite. My wife, remember the food pyramid? That's now that plate or whatever about the healthy food group. My wife's food food pyramid consisted of three staples. Chicken fingers, pizza, and french fries. Can I get an amen from anybody in this house? No, you shouldn't be amening to that. Not at all. I mean, that, that's okay when you're little and, and maybe you're for the parents in the house, that's what you can get your kids to eat because they won't eat anything else. That's all right. But we know that as we get older, hopefully, we recognize there's a whole lot more to the foods on God's green earth that our body needs for nutrition. My wife was already in high school at this point, and it didn't get much better. Thank God that she she goes for other stuff now, because I'm like, she's going to die well before me if she keeps this up. She also didn't drink water nearly enough. It drives me insane. And this is coming from the guy who eats cookies to no end, who's going to be diabetic in three years if I don't stop. So 
It, it, it was just funny thinking about that. And I was reminiscing to one of the things that my dad would do growing up. My mom wouldn't like to go shopping without him ever. Because, and I know some dads are going to get this, some guys are going to get this because I do this. You see a deal, you want to clean out that shelf because you don't know when the next apocalypse is going to happen. You don't know when you're going you're to see a deal like that. So you see those Progresso cans go on sale for 25 cents off. You just scoop the whole shelf off and dump it into your carriage. And you bring it home. You're like, look at the deal I got. And I remember my mother just saying, do you not see our pantry? I can't even close it at this point. And she would be so upset about this. And I remember one thing in particular that we never ran out of, no matter how much my father bought it in abundance. He would go to Sam's Club during the summer, and he would buy ice cream sandwiches. You, you know the rectangular ones with the, like, the chocolate Oreo soft layer on top, whatever that is? Oh, my goodness. I would wait till nobody was looking, and I'd go down, and I'd grab two. I'd go, and I'd down them and be like, yeah, I want more. And I'd go, and I'd grab two more. And they would, they would always be running out. My father would buy them in bulk. Didn't matter. But in spite of us knowing this, we don't always practice it. But the truth of the matter still stands. That just like what we ate that was unhealthy for us in abundance as children, if you fall into that category, some of you are good parents, um, the same is equally applicable to our relationship with the Lord. And we're going to see from one of the particular stories of the Israelites how they kept going back to the past and saying, God... Why don't I have it now like I did then? Because that's obviously what I need. So we're going to get into that in this discussion this morning. But let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this time on this Father's Day that we're able to honor fathers in the house. But ultimately, above all else, to honor you, our Heavenly Father, as you deserve. And to say thank you. Thank you, God, that you know what's best for us. And you've shown us that. Now, Lord, I pray that we would have ears to hear and a heart to receive your instruction so that we would not be simply hearers of the word, but doers of it. And in Jesus' mighty name, the people of God said, amen, amen, amen. So, uh, Matthew 6.11, give us today our daily bread. Very practical prayer that Jesus now instructs his followers in Hey, how should we pray? We kind of don't know how to do it, and I know a lot of us can be like that at times. We just don't know how to pray. Well, this is very, very practical within the realm of how I should pray. It's saying, God, I need you to supply my lacking. I need you to provide my need. So a few weeks ago when we were focusing on the aspect of the greatness of God, one of the names that we briefly mentioned was Jehovah Jireh. Now, let me quickly just extrapolate that a little bit because we're talking about provision solely today based on Matthew 6, 11. Jehovah Jireh is what we traditionally understand to be interpreted as the Lord provides, which is correct. But there is a dual meaning to that Hebrew word that is going to be a little bit more picturesque once we understand it. It actually also a little bit more literally means the Lord sees. So when you combine both of those meanings together, you really get this idea. I serve a God who sees exactly what it is that I'm going through and more so 
has the ability to provide for that which I am lacking. It makes God so much more personable. He's not just a He's not just an agent at a, at a mortgage company or at a bank who's sitting behind a desk who has us coming to him saying, hey, I need you to give me a loan. I don't care what it is you want to use it for as long as you have uh, good equity, you have good credit, you can put a little bit of skin in the game. Uh, I'll give you as much as you want with interest and expecting it to be returned and, and this amount. That's, that's whether we realize it or not, we, we kind of – Look at God that way because we think, oh, if I've been blessed, then I either need to run for the hills before God expects anything of me and I'm not going to be in church, not going to be a Christian because I got what I needed. Let's just be real. We do that in almost every relationship of our lives unless we're really mature, and we should be, or we, we get so weighed down by the heaviness of expectation to pay it back. And we say, somebody blessed me. I've, I've got to return the favor. Otherwise, otherwise, I, I'm, I'm evil. I'm sinful. That's not who God is. God says, I will give to you freely. But you have to know how to receive it. Okay, so he says, I see your need and I will provide for it. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord sees my need and will provide. So I want to focus on a story about God's provision for the Israelites. It's Exodus chapter 16, where we're really going to focus, but I'm going to jump a little bit before that, and then we're going to go to the New Testament for some, uh, for some extra emphasis on this topic. But let me read to you the first eight verses of Exodus chapter 16. And it says this, The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin. There's no double meaning there. Doesn't have to do with sin like we think it's called sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month, after they had come out of Egypt, so just track with me, roughly a month or so later, it says on the 15th day of the second month, in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. In the desert, they grumbled. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out into this desert to starve the entire assembly to death. Man, sounds like a bunch of pigs. <laughs> then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them, here it is, and see whether they will follow my statutes. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, in the evening, you will know. That it was the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt. And in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord. Because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? That's not a point that I have. But let me just quickly say before I read this last verse. The Israelites thought that they were able to get away with their grumbles because it was directed towards Moses and Aaron, their leaders. 
they respond and say, you don't know who you're grumbling against. We're just the mouthpiece. We're the spokesperson. So if you've got a problem, you take it up with him. Verse 8, Moses also said, you will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? We're not grumbling against us, but against So the initial response that we see from the Israelites here in this verse is when they face adversity, they dwell on the past. I'm going to talk about that at length in a few moments, but let, let me focus on a few key words that we saw in this text because they have profound implications for us. First, after the grumbling of the Israelites, God speaks through Moses And says, tell the people that they are going to receive provision for their problem. And the source of the provision will be bread. Where from? Heaven. Now that sounds like a great phrase. But we need to understand the impact that God was trying to have on the Israelites. By helping them realize where their help comes from. It's not going to be pull yourself up by your bootstraps and you're going to be able to get through this. Maybe that could have happened. And it's not that God doesn't work that way at times. But he wanted the Israelites to understand however he chose to provide, it was coming from him and him alone. So let me make this point to you. God's provision might not come the way you expect, but the way you need. All right. So. Let, let, let me jump to the New Testament for, for a second because I love this phrase, bread of life. And it's a phrase that if you know the New Testament, you know Jesus referred to himself as. So in John chapter 6, I'm going to read a verse for you. But before I do that, let me just set the stage of what's going on in this New Testament happening. You all know the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000? He multiplies the, the bread, the loaves, and the fish. All right, so Jesus just fed the 5,000 in the prior chapter. I think it's chapter 5 now. might be chapter 6. Um, and he's ministering to the people, and, and, and they see this miraculous sign of Jesus by feeding all of them with, with a, a lunch that he miraculously multiplies. And then when they're finished with the, mis- with the ministry, Jesus gets into the boat, and he kind of sneaks away. It's not Jesus being uh, angry or not wanting to minister to people. He's tired. He needs rest. He needs to get away. But the crowds, they follow him. And in the beginning of chapter 6, we specifically see, or, or in chapter 6, we see how once the crowds finally found Jesus, they come to him. They go, Rabbi, where did you go? And Jesus, really knowing the intent of their heart, looks at this as a teaching moment. And, and he says, listen, you're coming to me as if you want to receive enlightenment and blessing and, 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 and divine intervention. But he straight up says, your bellies were filled and you want more of that. And he's just being really honest with them. He's he's not about to rip them a new one. He's just saying, let's be real. You came because you saw a free meal and you wanted it. But you don't really want everything else that comes with it. You, You just want me to do this. You saw the sign, but you didn't focus on the fact that the sign itself, this is important, that the sign itself was to point you to me and who I say I am as proof of who I say that I am. When it comes to miracles that we believe in and we pray to God for in this church, healing, words of wisdom, knowledge, divine intervention, financial breakthrough, whatever it might be, we need to understand 
it's not meant to end with the miracle. The miracle always serves a purpose to point us to Jesus, the one who provided the miracle for us. It's to say, you can depend on me. You can look to me. You can trust in me above all else. So Jesus, he he has this honest moment with them. And then he says, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me. Not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and he did say. And then he jumps down to verse 35 and he declares to them after a moment of honesty and after they say, "Okay, Lord, you know what? We get it. We see what you're saying. Now show us another sign. And this time we'll actually receive the sign for what it is. And and Jesus says specifically, you need to believe that I am who I say I am. That's the sign you get. My word that's spoken. A guy who multiplied to feed 5,000 people. A guy who walks on the water. A guy who raises the dead. A guy who heals broken bodies. He goes, all the signs in the world aren't going to be enough until you stop and you say, this needs to be true. Spoken and seen right in front of you. And he says, here's the truth. Ready? Verse 35. I am bread of life whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty ultimately here's what jesus is saying that we need to take away from this stop looking for a miracle and start looking for me that i I really believe that's what god wants us to understand because the miracles are not meant to become gods in it of themselves The miracles ought to be the very thing that points us to the Lord. So when we're saying, God, I need your provision in my life, God will be like, all right, I'll give you some provision, but I want you to understand that my provision is going to serve a greater purpose, but I'm getting ahead of myself. The second phrase, going back to Exodus 16, he says, in this way, I will test them. They grumble. Then God says, all right, here's what you're to say to the Israelites. I'm going to give them manna from heaven. I'm going to give them bread. I'm going to give them uh, the, the meat, all that. And in this way, in this giving, there's going to be a test. Now, I'm going to get really real in these next few moments that that really might like shake you up theologically, internally for the next few moments. But but let me say this point first. The provision of God will serve a purpose beyond the immediate need. Okay, so God right here is giving instruction to Moses, to the Israelites who were primarily agricultural individuals. Most people in that day were. They just came out of slavery, serving a population through forced labor that included farming and shepherding. Now they're continuing this because they need to live. They can't go to the grocery store. They can't go to Wegmans and fulfill their need. They were farmers amongst many things. And so now God is saying, okay, you're hungry You need sustenance. Speaking to farmers, he tells them, I'm going to give you provision every single day. You'll never have need. And then on the weekend, where you know the practice is Sabbath, not to do any work, the day before the Sabbath starts, I'm going to give you a double portion. And you collect twice as much, and then you hold on to that for the weekend, and it will sustain you through so that you can rest. Yes. Yes. But listen, 
difficult would that have been speaking to individuals who know that the practice of proper farming and agriculture was you prepare for a long harvest. You fill your storehouses. You don't go day after day and just pick a little bit and say, this will sustain me. No, you have a mass harvest and you preserve it to sustain you through the winter when you know the crops will die. That's pragmatic. That's realistic. That's not wrong for us to do if you're a farmer. But speaking in a broad sense of understanding how we're to trust in God, he says, I don't want you to rely solely on the provision that I give you. Because if you do, you're not going to keep your gaze fixed on me, the giver of the provision. Especially because maybe I have something different for you in the days or in the months or in the weeks to come. Let me give you another point. God wants to see if you're willing to trust in his provision, even if you don't know what tomorrow holds. So I just I'm, I'm I'm reading this and I'm kind of asking myself this question. Why does God choose to test us when it comes to provision? Why? Why, why did he need to test us? Um, I believe it really is God's testing when he provides for us is really a built in fail safe for something that can go very, very, very wrong in our relationship with him. Let me explain. God knows that we as human beings want all the time benefits uh, we want all the benefits of a relationship, listen, without any of the commits. Okay, now here's where I said I was going to make a statement that was going to be extremely difficult for us to wrap our heads around. So stick with me because this is going to sound heretical. I promise you it's not. God's grace is free. His provision isn't. Man, you're just kind of floating a lot of church God's grace is free, his provision isn't. What, what, what do we understand about God's grace, his salvation, his justification? In order for me to be righteous in his sight, in order for me to be in eternity with him one day, I receive his grace. It's all because of the cross of Jesus Christ. No matter how hard I try to expunge the sins of my past, it won't work. No matter how hard I try to get myself into heaven or keep myself out of hell, I can't do it. You can try and you can try and you can try. Paul himself, who said, I was the greatest of the Pharisees, I kept every aspect of the law. Nobody was more righteous according to the law standards. And he goes, you want to know what my righteousness was like in the eyes of God? Filthy rags. I was the best. Filthy rags is how God considered my best. And yet, it's because of his grace that we are considered righteous. But justification and provision are two completely different topics completely different there is so much if thens in scripture if you do this then i will bless you if you keep this then i will bless you we can go through scripture and look at case after case of individual kings prophets leaders judges new testament figures the nation of israel and god says I i've delivered you you're delivered the exodus represents the justification the grace they did nothing to earn God's grace, but God came in and liberated them. They didn't have to earn it. He set them free. But now he goes, I'm leading you to a promised land. That's going to be the best for you that you never could have thought possible. But I've got a way that you need to follow. 
not payment to me. It's what you need to do in order to receive it. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to receive it. You're going to squander it. You're going to belittle it. You're going to mistreat it. You're going to trash it. And, and God says, I'm not a chump. I, I'm not going to be had. I'm not going to be uh, used and abused. I've set you free, but, but if you want to continually receive breakthrough, all right, you're, you're in heaven. You're in grace. You want, you want to be free from addiction? All right, I got a plan for you. You're going to have to give up some stuff. You're going to have to break some relationships. You want financial breakthrough? You're going to need to get your life right and, and, and stop going and giving your money to things that you ought not to be doing. Stop letting your money be an idol to you. We can keep going on and on and on without this, but we need to understand God's provision, it's not free in this sense of recognizing obedience. He says it earlier, and and I'll read it for you in a minute when we get there, when we jump back to Exodus chapter 15, but let's keep reading this story right here in chapter 16. Here's what happens next. Verse 9, Then Moses told Aaron, Say to the entire Israelite community, Come before the Lord. For he has heard your grumblings. Come on up. You can grumble in your tents, but you're going to come right out in the presence of God. And you're going to hear this. I love this part. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked toward the desert. You have to underline that. They looked toward the desert. And what do they see? There was the glory of the Lord appearing in a We'll talk about that in a minute, but but I need to build it up for you for this for 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 it to carry as much weight as it does. So here's my first point. The wilderness in this moment represented the absence of necessity. The wilderness, the desert, no food, no water, no shelter, no life. Everything that we need, we don't have. The wilderness represented this for the Israelites. Quickly, one story that I'll tell you about my father that that I, I just find hilarious, but I'm grateful for. When we were growing up, my father said, every time you go to a rest stop or a restaurant, get some extra napkins. Put them in your center console. Put them in your glove compartment in your vehicle. You never know when you're going to need a napkin, when you got to check your oil, when you spill something, when you got to clean something. You never know. It sounds so trivial, but I am amazed at how grateful of a habit it is for me because – Whenever I'm in my car, I never need a napkin. Whenever I get in my wife's car and I spill something, I'm like, hey, give me a napkin. She's like, what do you want? I don't have a napkin. We need to go out to eat. We don't got a bag with napkins in it. So what do you expect? I'm like, what do you mean you don't have a napkin? Didn't you? Oh, something my father taught me. And it's not anything that makes him better than anybody else. It's a, it's a good practice that I'm grateful for. But but I, it's it's something that I look at as a necessity. So when it comes to the wilderness, to the Israelites, the desert represents complete absence of necessity, barrenness, death. Okay, so what happens right before chapter 16, chapter 15, let let me paint the picture for you, then I'm going to read for you what it says. The Israelites are delivered from Egypt, God's grace, set free from bondage, no more, and he leads them out. How does he do it? He does it in a way that the Egyptians are never going to forget. The ten plagues. Like, you don't mess with God's people. You don't mess. When he says it, you listen to it. He delivers them. 
They're on their way out. They plunder the Egyptians while they're at it in accordance with God's command. And they're traveling to the Red Sea. And we know that when they get to the Red Sea, they can't pass it. God says, no problem. I'll make a way for you right through it. Parts the sea. They go through it. Their oppressors, meanwhile, are chasing them. What happens when the oppressors try to use the same privilege that God gave his people? They're swallowed up by the waters while the Israelites pass through on dry ground. All the while, remember, being led by the physical presence of God, a pillar of cloud by day and fire by night. He's like, I'm literally going before you. You can see me. Then we come to chapter 15, right after the Red Sea. And it says this, then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea and they went to the Hope Desert, the desert of Shur. For three days, they traveled in the desert without finding water. Now, again, I'm no scientist, I'm no medical practitioner, but from what I've learned, I, I, I don't think there's very many people that can survive past three days I mean, maybe in, in extreme cases and how they preserve themselves. But really, like three days is that like soft cap for being able to literally survive without water. And they go three days without being able to find water. So let's be fair. <laughs> They're probably getting worried. When they came to Meh, they could not drink its water. Because it was bitter, they finally find provision, but it's not something that's for them. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, what are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became fit to drink. There the Lord, this is so important, there the Lord issued a ruling and instruction for them and put them to the test. Remember what I said, God's grace is to be with provision isn't. This is, this is where you really see it stated clearly. If you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring any of these diseases upon you that I brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. That's a completely different name for God, Jehovah Nisi. The Lord who heals. That's, where, that, that's literally what that is right there. Verse 27. Then they came to Elim, which is where we picked up in chapter 15, where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and they camped near the water. And then based on how we started this off, reading in the beginning of chapter 16, we know that they were there for a few weeks, being, being restored, being filled, being nourished in the desert. But then as we read, now they got to set out again, and they're in the desert again, and now they don't have food. So once again, they're getting this practice, this habit of understanding the reality. The desert or the wilderness represents the absence of necessity. This place represents hardship, pain, difficulty, loneliness, barrenness. So that must have taken a lot for them to say, Okay, we made it to Elim. This place is pretty good. We got 12 springs. We got 70 palm trees. We'll be set for a good while. What's that, God? Oh, it was just a pit stop. And they go to the wilderness, and as we read, they had some problems. So here's the point that I'm going to make that brings it back 
to understanding the title of my message, Your Past Can't Choose You. Here's my point. The past is a trap. The enemy wants us to forget the fact that while our past held some provision that certainly was probably from God, it was also filled with pain. First and foremost, we see technically in chapter 15, while, while they're, they're not looking to Elim and calling it outright like they called out Egypt, they didn't say, oh, why are we in this wilderness when we were just at Elim and we had those, those springs and those palm trees? Why do we there? But I can only imagine it was in the back of their head. They just left a place of provision and now they're right back to square one. And they could have been like, well, why did we ever leave Elim? We already went three days without water and we found it. So wh why would we leave this? And then chapter 16, where we see forthrightly, they exclaim their problem. They're in the wilderness. They're lacking sustenance and provision. And they look to the past. What's so interesting is that they don't focus on the deliverance. Rather than looking at the past the way that God intended them to and us to, as remembering his greatness. Looking to the past isn't bad. Looking to the past is something that God intended the Israelites to do with building memorials like Bethel with Jacob, saying, I want this to be a representation for all generations to follow that you will be able to pass on the knowledge of what the Lord did to deliver you. The Passover feast was itself to be a tradition that was commemorative of God's deliverance of the Israelites from bondage in Egypt that they were to practice yearly. So God's not against the past. But here's the way the enemy loves to work. He sees something good and he loves to twist it and make it bad. He loves to lie about it. So rather than in their moment of complete absence of necessity in the wilderness, rather than saying, hey, no, 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 I remember my God and what he did to deliver us from Egyptian plague. I remember what he did when we couldn't pass the Red Sea. I remember what he did to our oppressors when they tried to appropriate our provision. I remember what he just did when we went three days without water. Rather than doing that, they went to the past. And what do they remember? The provision of the past. Well, we had meat. We were fed. Doubt they were well fed as slaves, but they were fed. Deliverance from slavery, deliverance from the absence of necessity, and yet the enemy was able to manipulate this, and they gave in. They said, if only it was like it was the way before. If only it was like the way we had it before. Are you kidding me? We were slaves. all God's done we need to learn from this past mistake that we are just as culpable just as easily able to fall into the same trap that the enemy lays right before us if God is not filled to the brim of our past memories of his greatness and focusing on the good that he has done for us 
he's going to manipulate every aspect of it. I don't feel God the way that I do. Maybe it's because I'm not getting the word the way that I did before. Maybe it's just because I'm not worshiping. Maybe it's because my, my spouse isn't loving me the way that they used to. And we can come up with a million reasons why we are unhappy rather than maybe God has a greater purpose beyond, be, beyond meeting your immediate needs. Like I said before, maybe the reason you're in the wilderness is because he wants you to remember Trust the provider, not the provision. So here's the last part that I read, and it just shook me when I was reading this because I loved it. It said in, in verse 9 and 10 that while Aaron was speaking, while he was giving the commands of the Lord and saying, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to provide for you. You're grumbling. You don't deserve this. There again, once again, is the grace of God where he will provide for us even when we don't deserve it. While that was happening, and they're receiving the instruction, God's presence becomes known in broad daylight. And while they're fixed on the spokesperson of God, they feel the presence of God. We don't know this. This is conjecture, but, but it's, it's kind of interesting to think about. Ba based on studies of, of the original text and geographical studies, it's possible that they were faced towards the camp and the desert where the presence of God appeared was behind them. Don't know if that's true, but it's, it's a cool thing to think about. Where they're listening and all of a sudden they feel his presence fall. And they turn and they look. And where is the presence of God? In the desert. The very place that represents the absence of necessity is where God showed up. He goes, the trap that the enemy has laid before you that you have allowed to maintain such a powerful hold over your life is the very place that I am going to show up where my presence will reside. Why? Why? Listen, when we trust in the provider rather than the provision, the wilderness can become the miraculous for us. You don't have water, I'll give you water. You don't have food, I'll give you food. You read the story again, once again, they don't have water. He gives them more water. He sustains them again and again and again and again, time after time itself. showed up to the very thing that represented the absence of necessity. If you would bow your heads with me as we just take a moment and, and just focus our, our time of closing as we cry out to our Heavenly Father. I'm here to tell you today to Stop allowing the enemy to trap you. Turn to the Lord. Turn to the Lord. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt. All you got to do, open your mouths wide and I will fill it got to do humble yourself say God here I am humble submissive and obedient to you I know who you are I revere you 
And now, Lord, I submit to you. And I know that in my submission to you, you see my every need. Jehovah Jireh, my provider. Jesus, people of God, would you stand with me on your feet this morning? Jesus, you've, you've taught us so much from those of us who had earthly fathers and saw them provide. Who at times maybe we saw our parents make a way when there seemed to be no way. When they put clothes on our backs, when they put food in our stomachs. That maybe we didn't even fully appreciate. God, we, we can look to you. Those are examples, small examples shadows of who you are and what you are capable of doing. Jesus, you've provided for us time and time again. You provide for us now. Your presence is with us because we don't need to look to a desert. We don't need to look to a tent. We don't need to look to a building because your presence indwells each and every single one of us. Wherever we go, we carry your presence. Wherever we go, we can trust in your provision. Because you have said, never will I leave you, and never will I forsake you. God, for those of us that are struggling to hold on to that today, I pray to my heavenly Father, provide for your people, I pray in this place today. Jesus, for those that are here that are willing to say, God, I will accept your commands. I will live in accordance with your will. I will submit to you. Provide abundantly for them, I pray. And Jesus, as you provide for them, I pray that they wouldn't fall into the trap of the enemy. I pray that they would not allow the provision that you have before them that's sustaining them, that is enough. To be belittled and to say it's not enough it's not good enough it's not the way that i expected it's not what i expected god i pray that we would remove that from our vocabulary remove it from our thinking how you provide we will accept and receive it jesus i trust you i trust you above all else you will meet the needs of your people if we are willing to trust and listen to your commands jesus are so good to us. Father, as we close our time together, I do ask for a special blessing to be upon those that made it a special focus and emphasis to prioritize receiving from you today. Lord, especially for the fathers in this house or those that are watching online right now, I pray that you would give them a special blessing this day strength to their bodies, for those that work long hours, strengthen their bodies, strengthen their minds, for those that are plagued with temptations to go to substances to help dull the pain of their present situations that might be difficult. I pray that you would silence the temptations in Jesus' mighty name. God, I trust you to do what we cannot. Bless fathers in this house. Bless families by extension in this house. Jesus, ultimately, I pray that you would help us to grow to be people that always call on our Heavenly Father. I trust you. 
I commit all of these things to you. I thank you. And in the mighty name of Jesus, the people of God said, amen, amen. Would you just give him one more shout of praise in this place? Lord Jesus, we thank you and we worship you. You are worthy of our praise. And we thank you. And in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, for those of you that didn't get some, we've got plenty of bagels, plenty of Broad Street Company donuts that we got specially made for the day. So on your way out, grab some. There's probably some leftover coffee. Enjoy it. And God bless you. We'll see you next week.